Hello and welcome to the President's Podcast brought to you by Get French Football News, your home of French football in English. In this extraordinary series, we sit down with French football's power brokers to discuss their journeys into the game and the future of the world's most successful export market of footballing talent. I'm delighted to say that we're joined today by one of the most promising football operators, probably in Europe, in fact, if he doesn't mind me saying that. Gauthier Ganet is the youngest ever Ligue 1 president, having most recently held this role at OGC Nice, with experiences in the same position at what is now championship side Barnsley, starting his career in football boardrooms at uh, Lens. He's currently without a club, but will undoubtedly continue his professional career with another adventure shortly. Gauthier, thank you for coming on. Uh, welcome to the President's Podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, well, it's absolutely our pleasure, Gauthier. Now, for people who don't know about your story, uh, some of the French football fans out there that maybe aren't super familiar, would you like to just sort of briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I come from the north, north of France. Uh, my background is in law and finance. And I've been working in football uh, my entire career. I started working for RC Lens in the north of France, so the club I, I supported when I was a child. I spent about uh, four years there, uh, moving for the position of uh, head of legal to, to secre secretary general. Mm. And uh, I then joined Barnsley Football Club in the championship and took over the position of a chief executive there. I stayed uh, two years at Barnsley before, before having the opportunity to, to become uh, OGC Nice president uh, last, uh, last February. And, uh, and obviously, I, I've resigned from my position at the end of August uh, after the completion of the, of the takeover by, uh, by Ineos. And since then, well, I'm looking for, for the right challenge to, to get back in the, in the industry. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you were a kid, was football your absolute dream or was it something that kind of just came out left the field? No, I've always been uh, playing football since a very, very young age. Uh, My, my first memory I could remember, I was always with a ball. So yeah, I've always been playing football. I've always been a big part in my life. And so then, obviously, when I was um, studying law, I didn't really see myself uh, being a lawyer, an attorney or anything like that. Uh, and, uh, and I'm glad I, I managed to, to actually work my way into football. What position did you play when you were playing? And uh, do you think you might have, might have got a shot in, in, in the higher leagues one day? Or was it clear from a certain age that it was going to have to be through the boardroom instead? So I've, played a, I've played different positions, but mainly number 10 and striker. Ah, oh, the creator in chief uh, and 10. Wonderful. <laughs> I, played at, uh, no, I played at a good level until I was 18. I played at the, the, the top level, the national level for, for youth. Yeah. Uh, so I played against uh, all the professional youth team, a professional club youth team. I mean, mm. uh, so no, I was playing at a good level, probably not good enough to <laughs> to make uh, to to make my passion work. But uh, no, I'm, I was a decent football player, I would say. It's fair to say that uh, Jean-Pierre Martel, uh, a very very uh, important figure for Ligue 2 side Lens catapulted you into your sort of first position of responsibility in your career to date. How did he get to know about you and, and why did he give you a shot? Well, that's a, that's a long story, actually, but if you don't mind. <laughs> we've got, we've got all, all the time in the world, Gautier. We're all in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of my studies, I needed to do, um, to do a thesis. 
Yeah. Uh, with my passion of football, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to work on why French football club uh, are so beyond other, other countries like England or, or Germany in terms of competitivity. And uh, how, how could we change the rules? Could we change the legal frame, the financial rules, the tax system to help our, our French football club to increase our, their competitiveness? And uh, with that, I managed to get an internship at, uh, at Lens. Uh, so I was glad to, to be an intern there. And uh, quickly, quickly, Gervé saw that uh, I could save a lot of money <laughs> in terms of legal bills to the club. So he wanted to hire me. <laughs> but, uh, long story short, he then lost, lost the, the majority in the, in the club to mm. Agricole at the time. And, uh, and so he, was, uh, he wasn't president of the club anymore. So all the promises <laughs> were gone. Uh, and he just told me, he said, look, I'm going to get back. I'm going to get the club back. I'm going to find an investor and, and buy the club back. I need somebody with your legal and, and financial background to help me during this process. It's only going to last for a month, you know. And, um, and at the time, you know, I graduated... Uh, uh, major from my from my uni, so I wasn't short in offer, and uh, not in football. Though. And uh, and so I was saying, well, you know, all my friends are are landing big jobs these days, and I, I'm gonna be, and I'm gonna tell them that I'm following somebody who is telling me he will find investor and buy the club back. Well, and guess what? I did it, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it didn't last a month, but actually almost a year. Day, day for the uh, jour pour jour. And yeah. uh, a year after, we bought the club back uh, with Afiz Mamadov and, uh, and I took the position of head of legal at the club. Well, so my relationship with Gervé, it's fair to say that, um, that we, we had quite an adventure together and I, I, was, uh, I was fortunate enough to be very close to him when he was, uh, when he was almost on his own because everybody... You know, when he when he lost his position, when he lost the club, everybody around him was gone. So, so I actually spent a lot of time with him at that time, and I and I learned a lot. Loyalty in football is a special thing. Do you think there's not enough of it in the game today? Well, I don't know if it's in football in particular or in uh, in the society in general. I don't know, but uh, for me, it's it's uh, it's one of the core value, and uh, and uh, with, with loyalty, you'll go you'll go far. <laughs> that's what I guess. That's what that's why I believe. I mean, well, so far, your your case in point. So uh, it seems like a, it's a good man, sort of mandate to have at this point. Now, obviously, uh, had a look at uh, some previous interviews we've done with some of our colleagues in France, and uh, you. <laughs> You decided to move to Leeds for six months, which I just cannot get my head around. Uh, so first of all, explain to me that decision. Um, and obviously, quite fascinatingly, it became quite useful when, when you ended up uh, uh, at Barnsley in the end. So, so why did you move to Leeds for six months? I presume it's obviously you wanted to learn English better, but why Leeds then? Well, for me, it's kind of an obvious choice, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Well, so I finished my uh, my law studies and uh, university law university in France is great, but uh, it's not great to learn foreign languages. Mm. So, so I, I graduated not 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 speaking English at all, and uh, so I thought actually if I want to do something nowadays, we, we you need to speak a foreign language. 
So I said, obviously, I, I want to speak English. But if you are a French people, if you are a French person and you want to learn English, if you go to London, well, every 30 meter, you're going to have somebody speaking French. So Very true. Uh, so I thought I would go to Yorkshire and actually, actually don't meet any French. And <laughs> that's the first reason. Second reason was, um, was uh, somebody I knew. Uh, uh, a woman I knew came to France uh, a few years before to, to be an English assistant in a school and uh, probably the only English person I knew at the time. So I called her and I said, where are you? And she said, uh, I'm finishing graduating at Leeds University, my communication degrees. I said, okay, I'll be there in two days. And and she, <laughs> and she, she I, I, we then, uh, she then came back to me in France and we are now married. So. <laughs> oh, amazing. That is just an awesome story. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, no, I get it. I get not wanting to move to London. And, and obviously Leeds made sense because you had a, had a contact there. Uh, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, I want to switch gears a bit now, Gauthier. Reverse ageism is an interesting topic of conversation in football in general. And you've spoken in the past that you know, when you have been going for roles and seeking to make that step up after your, your kind of initial role at Lens, that you were constantly, you know, getting, oh, but he's too young sort of feedback back. Talk to me about that experience and, and whether you still feel like even now, I mean, obviously you are 32, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, that's still, still younger than some players in a dressing room. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would say that, uh, yeah, obviously, that, uh, that's something uh, people used to tell me a lot when I, when I was at Lens and I wanted to, I wanted to go up the, the hierarchy. Oh, you're still young. You've got some time to learn. You're, you are not experienced enough, blah, 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 blah. Until actually, so I, I think it's, it's mostly a French thing more than a, mm. than a British thing. Because uh, obviously, when uh, when Patrick Crane, who was uh, at the time the owner at Barnsley, gave me the opportunity, I remember going through the last interview, and uh, and when I I went out, I called my wife and I said, "Believe it or not, the guy didn't mention my my age once in the interview, and um, that's something that would never happen in France." And uh, and uh, Patrick was somebody uh, he passed away uh, uh, unfortunately since, but. He was somebody who understood that experience doesn't mean, doesn't mean age. You can have a lot of experience, but be very young. And I believe today at my age, uh, okay, I'm still at a young age. I'm only 31, but, but I've, I have, I believe, more experience than most of the people working in this industry because I've been doing that uh, <laughs> all my career. Yeah. So, um, so it's something that... Yeah, mainly at the beginning of my career. Now it's it's quite rare that uh, that uh, it is mentioned to me, but uh, it it's, it is still the case. But uh, I think it's wrong. You shouldn't define somebody by his age. No, hundred percent. Were there sort of specific examples, kind of early in your career, that, that made things difficult? Because obviously you were kind of Martel's guy a little bit. Yeah, well, obviously, at some point, I, I, I have been uh, head of legal. I've been a secretary general at Lens. Uh, at some point, I thought I could, uh, I could become, uh, I could become CEO of the club and uh, and go up the hierarchy and still help Jerry, but uh, be in a more uh, general director position, obviously. Yeah. So, and uh, at this time, yeah, <laughs> my age, my age uh, was something that uh, that they used to tell me uh, all the time. Yeah. 
Do you think that is something kind of inherent in French culture? Like there's just kind of more of a rigidity in, in sort of working environments. Uh, yeah. Uh, like down in the French, French. Sorry, you were saying, go on. I think for me, yeah, it's something that it's very deep down in the French culture, because for example, if you go in the U S the, the most successful company, the CEO are usually 35 max. I mean, yeah. especially in, sport in the U S the CEO are very, very young because, uh, I mean, in, in France, we see it, oh, the guy needs to have a lot of experience to do the job, which is, which is true. But again, ex- experience doesn't mean age. It's two very different things. And, um, and also, when running a football club is very demanding. It, it, you need to have a lot of energy. It's a very hard job. It's, it, for me, it's not even a job. It's 24-7. You fa- it's something that your family has to live with. It's, it's something that takes over your personal life. So... For me, being young is actually is actually a quality. A quality. If if one day I'm owning a football club, I'm more likely to appoint somebody who is uh, who is uh, my age than somebody who is sixty because I know how demanding this job is. Is that a dream of yours? An ultimate dream of yours to not just work as a president for a football club, but one day own one yourself? Uh, it's not it's not something that I wake up every morning thinking about it, but. Uh, <laughs> It's something that uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if one day, uh, if one day uh, I do that. Yeah, watch out! Watch out! European football world—it's coming. Um, I want to. I want to switch gears to to Barnsley. I would be very surprised if you knew much about Barnsley before you were being interviewed for the job. But I want to get a sense of kind of your lived experience when you think of Barnsley, the town. What sort of pops into your head? Uh, well, it's a it's a, it's a place on earth that uh, didn't really transform its economy after the mining industry uh, collapsed. Mm. Obviously, lots of uh, unemployed rate. The, the unemployed rate, unemployment rate is very high, and uh, the, the, yeah, the life is not easy for the population there. So obviously, people, the the, the football, I mean, has a special place in people's life and. Uh, and that's why, that's what Barnsley is so special to me since uh, uh, still today. Because it's uh, you can feel when you when you work for the football club when you and when you you run it, you can you can feel the responsibility on your shoulders because you can you can feel that yeah it's important in the community. It's probably the most important thing in the community in Barnsley. Tell us about your relationship with the fans there. Did it take a long time for them to sort of recognize who you were or? You know, and, and your sort of significance at the club itself, or did it happen quite quickly? I know you were only there for twenty months. So obviously, when uh, when uh, when I arrived at Barnsley, I said, oh, there we go again. Everybody is going to talk about my age again." And surprised, <laughs> uh, that wasn't the topic at all. It was yeah. my nationality the problem, <laughs> because uh, being French, married to a Scottish uh, woman, uh, obviously <laughs> in the north of England, it doesn't make a, it doesn't make a good intro. So, so well, I needed to earn the to earn their trust, and uh, and uh, it took time. I showed that I was uh, humble, I was hardworking, and and those are qualities that uh, people from the north of England actually value very high. So, uh, we had a very close relationship. I think we had something special. Uh, I spent a lot of time with the fans. I have always been transparent with them, and uh, still. Still today, I receive messages, and it's always very, very touching. 
Would people sort of come up to you in the street? Uh, would you get stopped in restaurants? Was that the relationship that was going on there? Yeah, yeah, obviously. Uh, buying me a pint at the, at the local pub or awesome. things like that. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. What do you feel you did well at Barnsley? And what are the, some, of, some of the mistakes that maybe you felt you made? What we did well is definitely running the club in a sustainable uh, manner, which is uh, obviously the model we had is uh, the club needs to increase its revenue and uh, the owner are not going to pump money in. You need, to, you need to, to create the money you can then reinvest on the, on the transfer market. And, uh, and that we did well. I'm also proud of the, obviously, you, you talked about it, the relationship we created with the, with the fans. We also played the youngest team in the first fifth division in the UK uh, during my time there. So that's also something uh, I'm proud of. And, uh, and obviously, we worked with a very a tiny budget for, for the championship. So that's something, uh, something that's uh, a for me key achievement. The mistake we did, well, obviously, the situation was complicated. I remember when I arrived, <laughs> I arrived in June 2017, we only had eight players under contract to start the season with. <laughs> so when you, when, you, when you have tiny budget, lots of players to recruit, and, uh, and you want a certain age bracket, well, that's, uh, I think it's, it was a 17 player that came through the door, that window and uh, 17 young player with uh, almost no experience of the championship. So it makes things very, very challenging. Um, but but uh, when you look at it, when I look at it back and all the players we recruited, when I see now where they are or what they are doing, we, we did the right choices in terms of recruitment. So that's something I'm also proud of. In a situation like that, Gautier, how much are you kind of at the sort of mercy, if you like, of agents right you know you've got an enormous amount of players you need to bring in mm-hmm. uh, you know how much are you really relying on kind of the the scouting department and and the data and how much is it just more that looks like a really kind of neat opportunity let's jump on that well the the way i've always been working in we don't we don't work on the agent recommendation so yeah of course they still send you millions of texts uh, with uh, with uh, always the best player in the market for for the money, <laughs> but uh, no, we relied a lot on the scouting department and the data department, which was big at Barnsley. And uh, and then we and then w- once we have done our our decision based on the on the sports side, uh, it was up to me to to to, to get the best deal possible. And that's uh, at this point we contacted the agent, but. Uh, but at no time we worked on a, on a recommendation because I think it's wrong. It should be something driven by the by the club and uh, something that uh, that is yeah the club policy. Sure. And at Barnsley, how much in terms of if you were to do a percentage split, how much did you feel you were working purely on statistical data and then kind of more human collected data when you're making these decisions? Well, it was uh, it was always um, it was always both for for, for every. Yeah every decision we made it was we always had some uh, some uh, traditional scouting some video scouting and then some, some data analysis we've never recruited a, a player based 100% on data analysis without uh, scouting or video scouting so it was always a like i said for me data is not a, is not a model mm. but it's a tool amongst all the tools that you need to you need to to use i mean when you work in recruitment 
and when you work on 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 human on human you obviously the more information you could gather before before making your decision the better your decision is supposed to be yeah. now it doesn't mean you're not good, you're never gonna do mistake of course you're gonna do mistake i mean everybody does mistake and especially when you work in this industry but if you can do a little bit less mistake than than your opponent then you you have a margin gain yeah do you ever think we're going to get to a place in football where you know some club is going to do a purely sort of money ball experiment purely picking people on data or do you think that's just impossible in a game that has maybe even you know many 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 more metrics and differentials to something like baseball I think it's already going going this way. When you look at, uh, at the biggest club in the world, the, the the size of the data analysis department is is increasing uh, every season after season. So we're already going that way. Yeah. Now now we're never gonna gonna become exactly what baseball is because uh, because of the differences between the between the both sports. You can't uh, you can't. Uh, it's very hard to isolate the individual performance of a, of a football player while it's quite easy to do it in baseball or in basketball. So, so we're never going to go to this extreme, but we're definitely going in this direction. For sure. Fascinating stuff. And, you know, obviously it's part of the game that the fans don't really get to see or, or get to think about. So I'm sure they'll appreciate that uh, bit of this conversation for sure. February to August, Gauthier, barely six months in charge of Ojusinis. What might have been a real kind of first opportunity to carve out what a kind of Gauthier Ganep presidency looks like on the big stage. Do you regret the brevity of the time at which you were there? Well, obviously, uh, obviously, uh, I would have liked it to, to last for longer and to be there for, for, for a few seasons and to build something that I could... Uh, I could then talk about obviously obviously I would have liked it to last longer. Yeah. We know now that talks had begun as early as November between various actors and intermediaries associated with Ineos. When you joined, did you really think you were going to be there for a long time or not? Yes. Yes, yes. Did you speak with Ineos about staying on in a kind of position of president or was that never going to be a possibility? Uh I've been in touch with Vineos quite early. I think it was in March or April. I don't, I don't remember. And I've always been very honest with them. I said, uh, I have no problem uh, you telling me uh, that I would not carry on uh, and that you will come with uh, the team who was there before me because they brought you the deal. I have no problem to hear that. But what I'm asking you is to be transparent with me. Mm. And in exchange, you can be sure that I will, I will be professional until the last minute uh, that I'm working for the club and I will work for the club best interest. And I've actually appreciated, uh, I've appreciated all the, the time I spent with Bob Radcliffe talking about the club and what I thought. My, because I wanted, I wanted the, that my work at Nice could, could, uh, could help him in the future. So we actually had a lot of meeting together and uh, actually enjoy our relationship. And I, I still have a very good relationship with him uh, today. In hindsight, is there part of you that wishes you'd stayed at Barnsley and sort of now been in a position where you could be fighting to keep the club in the championship? Well, obviously, uh, lots of people are asking me this question. You can uh, you can understand, but uh, 
I always say the same. I mean, when, when, when I placed myself in the, in the position back in uh, December, January, at Barnsley and uh, having this opportunity to come here to Nice. Mm. First of all, I wanted to finish the, the transfer window for Barnsley because that was uh, my commitment to the my commitment to the fans, my commitment to the club employee, to the to the head coach that I went and uh, and appoint. So that was something that was very important for me. But uh, nobody could have expected what happened. Uh, <laughs> what happened six months or seven months after I missed. So. So if it was something to do, a decision to take again today, I will take exactly the same decision and I will, and I will join OGC Nice. And even if, it, if the experience was, was relatively short, I mean, it was, it was still a, 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 an extraordinary experience. And I, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I, I've done it. And I've learned a lot from this experience. And this experience makes me, makes me better today in my job. For sure. Is it fair to say that your time with, with Les Aiglons is somewhat unjudgeable, though? I mean, yourself and, and Gilles, Gilles Grimandi, who, uh, for people at home, uh, might recognize his name. He was a scout at Arsenal and then took up, uh, took up a sporting director role at Nice, uh, worked with Gauthier and departed at, well, slightly after, but pretty much the same time. You guys were basically responsible for exactly one signing, weren't you, in, in Kefren Thuram? So is it kind of unjudgeable? Yeah, it's kind of unjudgeable, but uh, when I look back, I think I think you know when you when you when you are chief exec or president of a club, I think most of your the biggest job you have is to put the team and the head coach in the best condition to perform. Sure. When I when I remember the situation, the, the crazy situation when I took over the club after a transfer window that was uh, without any signing, uh, the head coach uh, apparently on his way out everything and uh, within a few weeks managing to stabilize everything build the relationship with uh, with patrick uh, Vieira, mm -hmm. build the relationship uh, improve the organization of the club with Gilles joining as a technical director with a new chief scout Mathieu Louis-Jean joining the club having this setting in place carrying on the work the team performing on the pitch finish in seven Carrying on the work on the recruitment, signing uh, Kefren, you mentioned it, but also working on the on the recruitment of the of some player that then joined the club after we left. But uh, it's something that have been uh, initiated by um, by Gilles and his team. I'm thinking of Casper uh, Dolberg, for example. Yes, so, and also the team starting very well the season until until we left. The the, the team was performing very very well, and also I mean. During this very very hard time, the takeover, the fans, and everything, we actually managed to keep the the, the the dialogue with the fans, and we never we never reached a point of uh, violence or anything. So that's also <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, no one no one killed each other. No, no, uh, but we always kept uh, kept the the relationship. We always met. We always uh, we have been transparent uh, with them, and uh, and uh, because at some point, you know, when we were back in March of April and uh, and things were were going badly in the press and everything, you, yeah. you were wondering uh, how are we gonna finish the season, honestly. Sure, sure. You were talking about Patrick Via. I mean, he's he's in a an interesting spot, I think, at the moment in that the criticism from the Ojasinis fans tends to be we don't really understand 
tactically what he wants to do, where he's going. And it's kind of felt like in this sort of first 19, 20 months now at the club that he's constantly been trying to plug holes in a, I don't know, a, a sink or something. Do you think he has what it takes as a coach to go to the very top? It's always a tough question because obviously uh, it's, it's the same when you judge a, a young player. Does he have what it takes to to go to the highest level? Or when you talk about uh, when you talk about a manager like Patrick, it's always a it's always a very tricky question because the question is more when you talk about a young player: is he ready to sacrifice uh, to do a lot of sacrifice to get there? And I think it's uh, the same for for a head coach. So it's tricky to answer that, but. Uh, he definitely has the background. I mean, he, he knows he played at the highest level. He knows what it takes to, to, to reach the highest level. He, he has the charisma to talk to the player. He got obviously the, the technical and tactical knowledge. He played, he played in uh, some of the biggest leagues in the world. So he has been influenced by, uh, by Italian head coach, by English, by French. Yeah. So I think he's got he's got everything it takes, and uh, and his first season at OGC, uh, uh, according to everybody, I think uh, was very very promising. Then I think he well, obviously, it's never easy for a head coach to be in the middle of a of a takeover like that. People coming, leaving, uh, the environment changing all the time. Because like I said, when you run a football club, your biggest job is to put the the people that are on the pitch and on the touchline in the best condition to perform. So in my opinion, until he's in the best condition to perform, it's hard to, to, to really judge him. And then I will also say that uh, he has been very unlucky with, uh, with injuries and, uh, and stuff like that. So, so I think uh, we will really be able to judge him uh, with next season, I guess. Sure. When with this season being... Uh, uh, well, what's happening right now with the virus and uh, how, how the league is going to finish, uh, nobody knows. But at the minute, he's, uh, he's what, he's fifth or sixth in the league? Yeah. Not too bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I, I think the, the, the concern is the playing style and it's maybe one of those situations where a club's fans were spoilt for a while under both Lucien Favre and, and Colpuel before in terms of playing some really exciting stuff and, and now it's kind of more focused on enormous solidity and then counter-attacking and that's just, you know, a different taste. Yeah, I'm not, sure uh, I'm not sure it is uh, playing philosophy. I think he, he, he started playing this this style because of the personal he yeah. had uh, to implement his game. And uh, it's fair to say that last season, the squad he has, he has didn't have uh, didn't have what it takes offensively to to implement uh, an attractive brand of football. So, so I think yeah, it's, it's hard to judge. My colleague uh, uh, Mohamed Bouafsi at uh, RMC Sport uh, asked you an interesting question in your first sort of interview televised when you took over the role. It was about uh, some words that you had in the mix zone for the press against Lille uh, after a 4-0 drubbing. You were kind of caught by the media and you, you were right in the sense that the context was kind of very much warped as as often happens in the media but it's kind of interesting to me because I guess that taking on this job the amount of kind of constant media attention was far greater than you'd ever received before um 
even more so than than when you were at Barnsley. So talk to me about that shift. Have you had to sort of develop a kind of a uh, more of a I don't know a kind of not a snake tongue you know what I mean but being more diplomatic and maybe sometimes holding back what you really think yeah well you're, you're talking about a particular particular event that took place the day I took over at Nice yeah after the game against Lille when we lost uh, 4-0 so so what people have to understand is that when I'm giving this interview, I haven't slept for 36 hours. <laughs> yeah. the, day before, the day before I finished the transfer window at Barnsley, I leave my flat at midnight to go down to London, uh, take a flight, arrive in Nice, meet all the employees, do the press conference, all this kind of stuff, lots of interview and everything, then take the plane up to Lille, meet the coach for an hour, meet the team, go to the game, Blah, blah, blah. And it was an interview that was scheduled before the game, you know. We, yeah. we said, after you need to go to the, to the zone mix and, and give the interview, which I was totally fine with. And after the game, obviously, we lost, we lost 4-0 in a disappointing manner, let's say. Definitely. And, uh, and uh, after the game, the, the, the PR people at the club tell me, well, you know, we can tell them, uh, we can tell them, we cancel it, you know, it's 4-0, you don't have to go down and speak. I said, well... To be fair, that would be quite. Uh, that would be. That would be putting quite a bad light on us. We said we will do it. Uh, I'll do it. I have no problem. Nothing to hide. Yeah. So I went down and uh, when asked about the game, obviously I said. Uh, I said. Uh, well, we did. There wasn't even a, a game on. So. So. But. Uh, to this day, I will. I would say exactly the same. But the context at the time was a. Uh, Obviously, coming, taking over after a popular figure at the time, uh, Jean-Pierre, uh, everybody was, uh, was ready to, to get on my back at the first occasion. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I believe every, every word I said, I, just, um, I was just disappointed that the first, and I shouldn't have done it because the first uh, interview that the Nice fans or people heard about me was this one. yeah was it kind of i was it so maybe it was out of exhaustion but was it also potentially exactly that you were kind of trying to give a first impression you know what you know i'm here this is how i feel and and there's a lot of work to do here was there part of was there sort of a strategy as well behind it or was it just you know you've caught me and i'm just going to be brutally honest about what i saw i mean i remember that game it was it was as bad as you described it (laughs) it was awful and i mean when when you represent a club, at some point you need to be you need to be honest with the people. And I can't I can't say to to I don't know uh, I don't know how many thousands of Nice fans that watched the game and thought exactly what I said. I can't say well you know well I think uh, I think it's not that bad. Uh, we tried to do that. No, we didn't try anything. <laughs> so so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit there and lie. I mean uh, that's also. Sometimes it's always it's also quite refreshing to hear somebody saying exactly what they think rather than what people uh, more like to hear or something very, very neat, you know. Yeah, what's in, what what really intrigued me about it, and I remember seeing it at the time, was it was in a context where Ojesinis really could and still could, you know, install itself permanently in the top six. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, gosh, this is kind of refreshing, you know, <laughs> someone, say, someone saying what it's like, because of all the presidents that have had staying power in Ligue 1, you know, we've seen some very unsavory back and forth between 
ill and or less in the last few days about what to do if the league can't continue because of COVID-19. I was like, God, this guy's actually just going to say what he thinks. <laughs> you know, he's not going to go on a media campaign. He's not going to try and, uh, you know, distract, 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 which I think is the mantra for a lot of um, a lot of league presidents sometimes. But as you say, you know, it was, it was one of those things where it was literally the first thing fans heard and then they, they were probably shocked and, yeah. You know, it was it was just one of those moments, but uh, oh, I think it's also good uh, for the for the players and for the staff to okay, fine. Uh, it's a, it's a football game. We have been rubbish. Fine, on to the next one. You know. Yeah, but what's clever about it from a leadership perspective, in my view, is that it just sets the stall. You know, you're just going to be honest with everybody, and yeah. it's a very complicated context to come in in the middle of a season anyway. You know, you don't have as much time to get to know people personally, um, yeah. so it's quite hard to get them to know how you're going to be without kind of demonstrating it off the bat. So I, now that I know you'd had 36 hours of sleep, uh, maybe it wasn't as intentional, but it's still... Uh, and it's hard to say that the game didn't wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely not. So what is uh, Shen Li like, the ex-owner of Ojasinis and, and current owner of Barnsley, both in terms of working with him and, and on a personal level? On a personal level, is somebody very very almost paternal i would say something that somebody yeah. that really cares about the people and uh and on a professional level is very is giving you a lot of responsibility and a lot of freedom in your work and uh, this is something uh, I, I also like with him can we expect you two to work together again? You may well decide to plead the fifth on this question, Gautier, but there has been press reporting that Mr. Lee is in conversations to acquire Toulouse from Olivier Cedron, and your name has been mentioned alongside with him. Well, look, we, Shen and I have a very good working relationship, and, uh, and we're still obviously in touch, uh, in touch from time to time at the minute, so... If we have if we have an opportunity to work, if he wants me to work with him again in the future, if the project uh, suits me, uh, I'll be more than happy to to work with him again. Would you work for a Ligue 2 club? Well, I don't know if I would work for for a Ligue 2 club, but for for me, the most important is not the division uh, the club is in. For me, the most important is uh, the the challenge uh, the challenger and uh, and coming coming in somewhere and being able to improve things. And the day you leave, the club is in a better shape than when you, when you came in. I, I have no problem. I, I don't think, uh, I'm not somebody who will think, oh, I've been uh, president of Nice in Liga. I can only work for this standing of club or whatever. I'm not like that. For me, it's, it's a challenge. It's what can, we, what can we achieve? What can we improve? What can we create? What, uh, what the dynamic we can, uh, we can uh, impulse? More than yeah. Did you understand why there was considerable anger from the Ojasinis fan base? I mean, in my view, it kind of all kicked off in May when the reports about this mystery supposed 22 million hedge fund loan comes out, uh, enacted by Paul Conway. We should add, obviously, taken out in December and had nothing to do with you. But did you understand why there started to be concern and anger at that time? I'm not sure if we all kicked off at this time. I think for me it was more uh, it was more obviously um, the, the the sequence, which is the January transfer window where you you don't do any signing. Yeah. Then 
the executive of the club, the top executive of the club leaving. And, uh, and then the, the, the press talking about uh, this British billionaire who is going to take over and we're going to challenge PSG. Yeah. It's a sequence for me rather than a, than a loan that has been contracted by the club. And uh, obviously, when you are a football fan, you're thinking, well, wait a minute. You're telling me that somebody is ready to come and, uh, and spend a lot of money and we're going to have the greatest team in, in the history of the club. We're going to challenge for the title. We're going to play Champions League, blah, 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 blah. blah. Or, <laughs> or the, what was painted at the time, like, uh, oh, they're not going to put any money in. But worse than that, they're going to strip the club from their asset, which was totally wrong and totally untrue. But that was everybody was made to think. Ineos did a really good job cuddling up to Nice Martin at the time <laughs> and giving interviews uh, left, right and centre to put pressure on throughout that occasion. And I think that was definitely part of what was complicated for you. How did you deal with that just on a kind of emotional, sort of personal level? You know, it adds, it puts a target on your back when, as you say, when these takeover discussions are happening, of course you're involved, but ultimately... You know that you don't make you know the decision on whether or not the club is going to be sold. Yeah, well, obviously you are the one, you are the man on the ground. <laughs> Let's put it like that, and uh, and everybody think you are you are part of it, and obviously you become the target. So it's not easy, but uh, I think I managed to I managed to stay transparent with the fans, and uh, I was I always talk my mind. And uh, it's definitely a period in my life where where I learned uh, I learned a lot. Did you relish when it was getting really chaotic? Did you relish that challenge? You were like, okay, you know, hit me with the sort of 20 things that are going to go wrong today. Or was it like, gosh, this, you know, I hope I don't have another experience in football quite like this again. I always take, uh, I always take things with the, br the bright side of thinking life because I always, I always, I mean, my first reaction was like, First of all, when I accept a challenge, I, I, I just do it. Uh, I, I get the job done. That's something people could say about me. I always get the job done, no matter, no matter what the circumstances are. And I'm not going to complain about it. So even when it was very, very tough, I always kept uh, humor. And I was like, oh, fuck, you know, if, if something else happened, uh, I don't know what's, what we're going to become. But uh, it's going to be very, very, very challenging. But... Uh, no, I mean, uh, I was always uh, aware that uh, I was learning a lot and I was, I was aware of it. Yeah. yeah. I think the final sort of nail of frustration was the club's decision not to spend any money during the summer transfer window until the sale to Ineos had been made. Was that frustrating for you and Gilles having, you know, had plans to go ahead and, and make signings and improve the squad? Yeah, well, obviously, I can't, I can't go into details on that, but, um, but yeah, we, we have worked on a lot of recruitment. It's not that we couldn't spend the money, but obviously, we needed uh, the buyer and the seller to, to agree on, the, on, the, on pushing the button on a, on a deal. So it was, it, was hard. it was hard for this reason, but uh, Gilles and I stayed really professional and uh, we, we lined up everything for it to be ready. We knew that. Um, that the new team would not have a lot of time to sanction the deal before before the end of the transfer window. So we were focused on uh, lining everything up for them. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think we did that quite well. Yeah, and, and hats off to you guys for staying professional in, in very, very extreme circumstances. The challenge for Nice, of course, is, you know, there were also not really very productive contract extension talks ongoing during that time either. And the club is now in a situation where Walter Benitez, undoubtedly one of the best goalkeepers in Ligue 1 over the last two or three seasons, might walk out for free in June under the stewardship of his new agent, Mino Raiola. You've got Melon Sar as well whose contract is running down. Do you think that there may well be some quite severe long-term consequences for the disruption that occurred over those nine months? I don't believe this is due to, the, to what happened at that time because uh, during my time, I've done two extension offers to, to Walter and at least three or four to Malang. Yeah. But I think what happened at the time is not that we, we just sit back and, uh, and waited for the takeover because we, we did... We did the talk with them and everything. It's just they were thinking probably, well, if I sign now and tomorrow we are taken over by a billionaire, I may, I may as well wait another two weeks and negotiate with the new people because I'm <laughs> there. I mean, I would have done that. Yeah. So, so that's what happened. Then the season kicks off. And, uh, and I don't know. I don't know what now the situation is. I, I don't know if this player has been offered, offered uh, new deals. Sure. Mm. Yeah, it's a tricky it's a tricky time. And I think that the problem with Malon's situation is that Patrick has uh, played him at left back quite a lot and kind of a little bit all over the place. And uh, a tricky, a really tricky situation for a kind of, in French, you said the enfant, uh, the child of the club, really, you know, a future leader that was identified by Fuel as well. And uh, yeah, it's going to be complicated. I know Gladbach was knocking on your door quite heavily last summer. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, a tricky, a tricky situation there for Nice and obviously one that we'll keep tabs on. You've been in the football business for close to a decade now, Gauthier. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about one figure uh, who has had a real lasting impression on you. I know Javier obviously has, but maybe, maybe someone else who we haven't mentioned yet on this podcast. Well, Gervais, obviously, and, uh, and the second one is uh, undoubtedly uh, Patrick Krein, who was a owner of Barnsley when he I always uh, I will always be grateful to him because he gave me he gave me a chance he gave me a chance at the right moment in my life and uh, I was only 29 and he appointed me chief executive of, of his club and uh, we didn't know each other for a long time because unfortunately he passed away six months after but uh, yeah. uh, he was somebody he was somebody a uh, lot of admiration for and uh, and it's partly why I wanted to join Barnsley because I remember saying to to my wife after an in, the first interview saying I, I I don't know if I want this job and and then after the second interview where Patrick was in the panel I remember getting out and say well now I want it because uh, uh, I've met this guy he's a, he's a self-made man he comes from Barnsley he took the club. From administration, and you can tell you can tell he cares for the club and for the people, and uh, that's the common point between him and Jerry. Is uh, they, they 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 are from the area. They they know what it means to the people, and they care they care for the club, and they and they always defend the most vulnerable people, and that's uh, that's what uh, attract me and uh, and that I admire. For sure. 
is he a sort of source of inspiration now as you kind of continue on on this adventure yeah because for me uh, you always say i don't own the club i'm just a, a custodian of the club and i think this is a this is the right uh, the right mentality to have so you, you I I think about him. Uh, I think about it uh, a lot of the time. Yeah. That's wonderful to hear. So let's go a little bit uh, lighter now, Gautier, and uh, dive into just some some quick questions about just a couple of things in 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 the last ten years, and then also uh, what is next for French football. Quickly, who's the craziest player you've signed? Player. Mm. Or you've seen signed at Lance as well. So any time in Lance and, and Barnsley obviously counts. Craziest player. That I work on the signing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Craziest, craziest. Oof, that's a good question. Uh... That's what we're here for. <laughs> Take your time. Sorry <laughs> for taking my time, but I didn't sign many crazy, many odd ads. That, so. that probably means you're a good chief executive. <laughs> uh, we can, we can, we can pass that one. Yeah, what is the, what, what's the deal that you were negotiating that you regret most not happening in the end? It wasn't great. Um... Well, I'm really bad at replying to this question. <laughs> nah, you, you telling me that every single target you lined uh, up, you got? No, but <laughs> I remember one in particular where I was thinking after, well, I'm glad we didn't sign him. Uh, I have nothing coming to my head, sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> and uh, let's see, the third time lucky. Under your tenure at any of the three clubs you've been at, who has been the most talented player at, you know, that you've been able to have the, have the uh, satisfaction of watching in, in training and uh, watching well, every weekend? It's an obvious one. It's uh, when I was, uh, I was only an intern at the time at Lens. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, Raphael Varane was going through the first team. And it was um, it was incredible to see to see him training at only seventeen eighteen, and he was already already playing like a thirty years old, and that was that was clear to everybody that this guy was uh, was gonna be the next big one. And I remember him. Uh, I remember uh, one day at the at the the restaurant of the club. Yeah, he was a player used to eat with the the employees and stuff. And and one day for some reason we. I came for to have lunch very late, and uh, and he was there on his own having lunch. So we ended up having lunch together, and uh, we started to have all the rumors at the time: Manchester United, Real Madrid, blah 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 blah. And uh, he was just focusing, uh, he was just uh, focusing on uh, on passing his uh, his baccalaureate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's awesome. That was, that was funny. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's Varane is a you know very fascinating player, and I think the mentality that he has and he has shown is almost of a kind of a different era. Yeah, um, very very unique in in that sense, and also why I think you know there's no coincidence that he's one of the most coveted in terms of trophies won players in the world right now. That's a great it's a great little story. Okay, Gauthier, let's dive into the state of play of French football very briefly. We really appreciate your time this afternoon. 
when I spoke with uh, FC Lorient President Loic Ferry, he confirmed on this very podcast that the DNCG, which for those of you at home uh, who don't know what that is, that is essentially the French football financial watchdog, make sure that clubs are not spending more money than they have. Uh, Loic Ferry was saying that they are looking into making some reforms into how that uh, process works. What do you think about that, Gauthier? Uh, it's a mechanism in French football which is certainly tougher than the equivalents in most other leagues. Yeah. Well, I think what we are what we are talking today, uh, this, this reform will be actually a big shift from what uh, from what was the mission originally of the DNCG. Because if you, I mean, right now the DNCG almost only control the the cash flows of the club. Yeah. But they control that you've got enough cash to to go until the end of the season. Their role is to make sure that there is no club going into bankruptcy during the during the season. Otherwise, you will uh, you will have an impact on the league, uh, the entire league. So that's that's the mission of the NCG. Now, what we are talking today is to to change uh, the mission, its mission, and to become a to do some uh, financial control on the club, to have a ratio, to have stuff like that. So this is this is a very, very big shift. And I don't know if everybody really understands the, the meaning of that. Mm. And uh, and also, if we increase the... That will mean increasing the power of the NCG. But uh, in my opinion, that will also increase its responsibility. Because if if tomorrow uh, they have these powers and they, and they, let, some, uh, they let the club... Uh, being around a certain way and then the club uh, uh, goes close to bankruptcy, that will raise the question of the responsibility of the DNCG. A hundred percent. And then there's obviously the question as well of, you know, can we have a system where you have acting Liga owners and Ligue 2 owners on the board and, you know, making making those decisions if all of a sudden it becomes the intention yeah. is, as, as Gauthier is saying, for it to go towards kind of like an FFP style thing for basically uh, everybody in French football. It's clear, though, uh, we have to admit, Gauthier, that it's just not worked. I mean, you look at Evian, Arlavignon, Lozenac. All it did was it delayed catastrophe for clubs so that they could just collapse, you know, in June, July. The problem is when you go and present your budget to to the NCG, like I said, the the most important part of it is the cash flow forecast. And uh, the cash flow forecast is, is obviously... Uh, impacted by by your budget, so your provision in terms of uh, and also your provision in terms of uh, ranking, because your TV rights, uh, the amount of your TV rights, uh, come from uh, from 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 uh, budgeting that you're gonna finish uh, uh, this at uh, this particular ranking, yeah. and also uh, your provision in terms of uh, buying and selling players. So now, if you if you budget that you're gonna finish fifth. And you finish uh, 19. Obviously, the impact on your cash flow is uh, is big. Same than uh, if you if you think uh, you're gonna sell for 20 million and you only sell for two. So, the responsibility of the NCG is uh, when you present your budget to the NCG, they believe you or they don't. If if you tell them I'm gonna sell for 35 million player and they believe you, happy days. But if in if two months after you haven't done it, then you have a big problem. So. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we should change the mission, but I'm not sure going into more financial control is the way to go. 
Sure, it's something we'll definitely watch very closely in, well, it's likely to be the months that come. I think they were hoping to get something done quite quickly, but I think with the coronavirus, everything has been thrown out of whack. Uh, Gautier, what do you think about City Football Group, the current owners of Manchester City, on the verge of acquiring Ligue 2 side Nancy? Do you think that's a good thing for French football? Yeah, I think uh, I think the more the more uh, professional investor coming in uh, our football is always it's always good because it's gonna raise raise the the professionalism raise raise the competitiveness of the of Ligue 2 and of Ligue 1. So I think it's a it's a good thing and it's also gonna be a good thing at uh, at uh, board level in the league, which means it's gonna bring a top top executive from Citigroup. Uh, in the discussion at the league in France and it's going to raise the level in my opinion yeah another really interesting one to watch um with kind of still a lot of rumors about who might come in and and all that sorts of thing and how much investment uh, it's something that actually you know I'll take a moment to tell our listeners now i've noticed in the last 2 3 months there are an enormous amount of conversations of premier league and even some championship clubs who are currently very heavily considering possible satellite investments in France in the kind of bottom 10 clubs in Ligue 1 and, and pretty much all over Ligue 2. Actually, a lot of them are motivated in part by Brexit at this point because they don't exactly know what the rules are going to be in terms of signing people from countries outside of the UK and what the sort of squad cap might be in terms of doing so. And so they're looking for interesting ways around it, number one, but also number two, looking for interesting ways around the new FIFA regulations on the amount of players that a club will be able to loan out at any one point, which is going to diminish uh, by, well, well, first of all, there's going to be a cap. In certain instances, there isn't a cap at all. And over the next three years, you'll see that diminishing quite considerably and preventing a Chelsea-like situation where they obviously just send pretty much the entirety of their promising 18- to 20-year-olds to, to Vitesse at any single point in the Netherlands. So there's, there's going to be, I think, more, more things coming out in, in, in the media in terms of other Premier League and English clubs looking at, uh, well, having made offers or, or looking to make offers on those clubs. So something I'm sure Gauthier will be watching very closely as well, no doubt. No, oh, yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned everything, and uh, it's exactly what's happening right now. And uh, like you said, nobody exactly know how Brexit is going to impact the rules of uh, the EFL and the Premier League. And uh, and uh, I'm sure 100 percent that uh, that these big clubs are are looking at acquiring uh, clubs in Europe. And uh, if you look at Europe, uh, you will be looking at France uh, on top of your list. Yeah, 100%, because of obviously the, the wonderful reservoir of talent that exists in, in France. Um, another big thing going on in French football is the incoming 800 million euro TV deal for Ligue 1, Ligue 2 uh, from Media Pro. I guess the question in the moment and the kind of topic on the ground that people want to discuss and, and think about is why the hell are French football fans going to pay 25 euros a month for basically 80% of the Ligue 1 and Ligue 2 games whilst also having to keep their Canada Plus subscription and and whether that is ultimately a bad thing for French football weighed up against the fact that more TV money means 
hopefully, you know, responsibly uh, better and more balanced budgets for Ligue 1 clubs, especially who can then retain talents that they might otherwise have to sell. Gautier, where's your head at on all of this? Well, obviously, there is a, you, can, you can think about the question on, from the fan side and the customer side, but also from the, from the club side. When you are a fan, when you are a fan, you want your club to perform the best, uh, and you want the French club to perform the best in Europe. So, in order to do that, you need your club to have more revenue. But as a customer, you are not ready to to pay what it takes for your for the TV rights of your club to go up. So, obviously, we need to watch carefully what's going to happen in terms of because uh, we don't know yet Major Pro the deal they're going to have with uh, other channels, and so we don't really know exactly yet what the offer is going to be for the customer. So we need to watch that carefully because obviously uh, we needed to stay affordable enough for the fans to continue following closely their club. But also if you, if you compare it to the UK and high uh, yeah. sport, um, more people are watching, uh, are watching football at the pubs rather than home. So that's another way. And with the sky sport licensing for the, for the pubs. So that's, I'm not too worried about the customer side of it and, uh, and the fans. What more worries me more is uh, did the league uh, take all the, guarantee, the necessary guarantee to make sure that Major Pro actually uh, deliver and, <laughs> and pay the money that they, they said they would? Yeah, but because of course... Sorry. The biggest question. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and, you know, we still have that big question out there of Media Pro, of course, did make an offer on the Serie A uh, in Italy's rights. It was actually a, a deal worth just over a billion. And uh, the Italian uh, League Federation ended up pulling out of that arrangement, not sort of, well, halfway through kind of the, the discussions uh, when they said there wasn't enough, as you say, bank guarantees. And yet uh, our friends at the LFP... Um, went ahead with the deal anyway. And uh, I guess, you know, unfortunately, it's one of those things where we won't really know, will we, Gautier, until the proof is in the pudding if the, if the whole thing goes to... Uh... Exactly, but it's, it's quite worrying because it means the whole football economy is based on TV rights. It's like 70% of your revenue. And so when the club are going to present their budget to the NCG, uh, based on a, an increased amount of TV money, roughly 20 million more for clubs, uh, I mean, I'm sure the club will have already spent the 20 million revenue. Yeah. What happens if they don't do it? We, we, we could end up in, a, in some serious um, cash situation for some clubs. So that's why, that's why I, really, I really hope that the league took all the guarantee and the executive at the league did their, did their work very diligently to make sure there is no problem further down the line because that could that could cause massive trouble to French football. Yeah, and I think we can agree that the best case scenario that we're operating under here with Media Pro is we accept that this is a first for really them full stop. You know, typically Media Pro has been known to buy considerable sports rights, but then sell them on. That has been their game. They've never had to produce a front-end experience for uh, customers in the way that they're claiming they will at the moment. And obviously, as Gauthier mentioned, there is still a possibility that they do sell those, resell those rights on to Canapriso or Binsport. Binsport currently the big losers as it currently stands in terms of uh, they will have very, very few rights left in this current configuration. But, you know, it's, it's as you say, that we witnessed RMC Sport have issues with the whole front-end consumer 
spaces when they recently acquired the Champions League rights in the first season was pretty much a nightmare from a uh, consumer experience. And then, then on top of that, there's obviously this huge concern, as Gautier is saying, in terms of the bank guarantees and the fact that a lot of these clubs are going to spend the money as if it already exists, despite not having uh, hold on to it. Um, so that is a you know a huge point of, of concern. Two more questions, Gauthier. Um, thank you again so much. It's been a really rich discussion this afternoon. The LFP in general has a problem at the moment in that its efforts to internationalize French football are really very poor. Why do you think that is? And what do you think can be done to improve it? I think we 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 did have a problem, and we and we still have a problem, obviously to some extent. But uh, the work that have been carried on by the league for the last I don't know two or three season in their effort to internalize it, which is um, doing uh, le Trophée des Champions uh, in foreign countries, which is uh, doing the the EA games uh, in the, in the US, uh, uh, all this kind of stuff is obviously is obviously going in the right direction. But in order to internationalize uh, French football, the most important is uh, having some of the best players playing in our league. And today we we are fortunate enough to have uh, Mbappé and Neymar. But what we need is is to have more of these players. And and today we are in a very competitive environment with other countries where sometimes career choice are are based more on tax regulation than... uh, than uh, sports project, if you know what I mean. Yeah. What we need is uh, if we want French football to be more watched internationally, people internationally, people are not watching clubs, they are watching footballers. If, if, you, are, if you are Asian and you are living in uh, Shanghai, you, you are watching uh, Neymar, you are not watching PSG right now. So if you want them to watch our football, we need to have more Neymar, more Mbappe in our league. So in order to do that, we need our club to to have more financial means, and by financial means, it could be have a special tax regulation uh, uh, like they have in Spain or now in Italy. Uh, why Cristiano Ronaldo uh, signed for Juventus because of the new tax regulation? Otherwise, it would have never happened. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we need to internationalize uh, more more our club. That's what I believe. That's really really interesting, and and such an important point as well about different cultures watching football in different ways um and that you know the kind of process of getting into a sport that you don't know starts as you say with the big stars Neymar is uh, obviously one and Kylian Mbappe is fast becoming uh, a real international icon especially through kind of Nike's big project for him as well in the next two three years Gautier we like to end these podcasts with uh, the guest just putting out a bit of advice there from you know kind of people who are aspiring to do what you do and so I guess the question for you is what words of advice would you have for young people who want to get into the business side of football well I would uh, I would probably say get get working in a club whatever the position is whatever where it doesn't matter where you would start in the hierarchy on the club just get your foot in in start working start working out and uh and I believe in the next 10 years, the, the panorama of French football is going to be so different. There is not many people uh, of the young generation uh, uh, who have experience in football yet, but 
that they will have a lot a lot of uh, of seat to to fill in the next few years to 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 run football club in France or to be to be top executive uh, in football the most important is get in a club start working whatever the position is get some experience and uh, make your way up and if somebody sends you a i don't know a <laughs> linkedin message now <laughs> some 19 year old guy and you're in a club <laughs> are you going to you going to give them a chance Gauthier, if you're in a club <laughs> look ben. Uh, i've given a chance to to a lot of young people when i've been uh, when i've been in position and I, i'll still do it in the future because uh, that's how i take things and usually they have more energy they they have more hunger they want to they want to to do more, so that's the way to do it. <laughs> and if there was a sort of a number one thing that they need, would you say that you know number one is being able to speak multiple languages? Yeah, definitely, definitely, because um, that's also what we need. We need in and we miss in French football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy to people, be honest. People wouldn't believe uh, when you when you walk. In, a, in even top clubs in France, the, the, the few numbers of people in the organization who are, who are fluent in, a, in, a, in another language. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go, guys out there listening. You know, use this quarantine time to download one of these apps, what they call Duolingo, <laughs> whatever. And, uh, you know, really do, if you can, immerse yourself in, in a different culture and a different language, because whether you end up in football or not, it's going to be a really useful skill. That concludes today's episode of the President's Podcast. Gautier, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Guys, as ever, make sure you're refreshing those podcast feeds. I know it's a downtime. It's a difficult time without football, but we are going to do our best to continue to entertain you through uh, a strange period for us all. So if you like this, make sure you check out, obviously, other podcasts that I mentioned at the, at the beginning of this one and we'll be with you very, very soon for another episode. Take care of yourselves and hope that you and yours are as healthy as they possibly can be in what is truly an unprecedented time. Bye-bye now.